We live in a spirit world, and we're spirit beings. We have a spirit God, and sometimes we forget that. We live as though we're physical-only beings in a physical-only world. And as we get to the end of this book in Ephesians, Paul is going to give us a closing uh, opportunity for us to be prepared uh, for battle. And so as he's writing this letter, and they received it, for the first time, he gave them instruction on how to fight against darkness, how to fight against evil uh, rulers and authorities in our world. And he acknowledges that there is evil, that there is a, there's an a evil God out there called Satan, and he has demons that help him do what he wants to do to still kill and destroy. And it's obvious that we live in a world where there is evil, and sometimes we lose sight of that. And sometimes we also lose sight of that Satan is out and his demons are out to destroy Christians. I want you to take a look at this uh, video, and it'll give you a snapshot of what Satan is up to right now. ...of what's going on. Now, some of you don't have a clue as to who I am, but there's others of you that know exactly who I am. And let's be clear on one thing. I know who you are. I spend as much time as I can with most of you. And here's the part that should make you a little uncomfortable. I spent a lot of time with your children. And thanks to some of you, they don't even know what to look out for. I'm sure there's times I, I kind of wish I did the whole horns, pitchfork, and red cape thing, but, you know, that would make it too easy for you guys. You see, the great thing for me is that I don't look like anything. I can look like just about everything. I don't have to be here. Some of the best work I do with you people is up here. Now some of you are thinking, I'm successful, I live a good life, my family's happy, you don't have me. Well guess what? I can take you down in more ways than you understand. I have one goal and that's to keep you away from God. And if I can make you miserable in the process, well bonus for me. And for those of you that don't understand the problem that I have with our Creator, read the book. It's all in there. I want you to think of all the places you've seen me in the past week. TV, newspaper, radio, movies, the internet. <laughs> the internet, wow. Wow, I love that place. Do you know that I have over 420 million pages of porn on that thing? And it does almost $5 billion in revenue a year and growing. Thanks in part to many of you. Let me let you in on a little secret. And I don't mind either. You know why I don't mind? Because most of you will forget everything that was said in this service by the time you walk out those back doors. Are you ready for this? All you have to do is choose to avoid me. You want to know the best thing God ever did for me was to give you the ability to choose? You see, you can't not choose. Here's the greatest thing about it. By not choosing him, you automatically choose me. Now, some of you have figured out how to keep me away. And quite frankly, there's no mystery to it. James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee. But most of you choose to allow me free reign in your life. You know, there's that word again. Choose. I have drugs, porn, infidelity, greed, lust, pride, slander, and the list goes on and on and on. But the one thing I do not have is the ability to offer you freedom. 
You know, to see Jesus suffer on that cross was one of the greatest moments of my life. And I loved it. I loved every second of his torture. But you know what I couldn't stop thinking of? I couldn't stop thinking about why he was there. During that time, I could only think of one thing. That when his torment was over, it meant that all of humanity, every one of you, would have the chance for an eternal life of peace. And all you would have to do is simply choose. You know, I know how this is going to end. I know what's in store for me. I will be condemned to an eternal hell, but until that day, I will do everything in my power to unleash that hell on this earth. And as God, as my witness, if you even allow me the smallest corner of your life, I will not stop until I destroy you. And until you cry for mercy in Christ's sake, I will not let you go. When the service is over, I will be waiting. I'll be waiting for some of you at work, at school, or at home. You know, I'll even see some of you in the car outside. Just remember, it's either me or him. Who do you choose? We live in a world that has evil, we live in a world that has good. We have an enemy called Satan, and he has helpers called demons. And they're alive and well. And whether you realize it or not, Satan and his demons are on attack on your marriage, your life, your ministry, your home, your business, your children. He will attack any and chance he can Truth be known, some of you woke up this morning, got ready for this service, and you weren't prepared for the battle zone that you walked into. Some of you got up, you physically put on clothes, I'm glad you did. Um, You ate some breakfast or grabbed some coffee, you jumped in your car, but not once did you acknowledge that you're in a battle, you're in a war zone, and that you're supposed to be prepared for this battle. Some of you get beat up on the way here even to this worship service. Some of you were up all night getting beat up by the enemy. You wonder how you can fight back. By the end of this service today, just like we saw in the video, um, the enemy himself, he'll be waiting. And he hates the fact that I'm going to give you some information today that'll give you an opportunity to stand against and to advance ahead. And if you're a person who desires to, to take back ground that's been taken by the enemy, then this message is for you. If you're a person who is willing to stand against the, the, the assaults of the enemy, then this message is for you. If you're willing to say, you know what, I'm going to be all that Christ wants me to be, then this message is for, you, is for you. The Bible tells us that we are at war. And sometimes it's hard to wrap our mind around this because we can't see the spirit being that's attacking us. And we can't see these demons that are ready to just rip into us and tear us apart. And if I were able to, I'm not able to, but if I were able to and we were able to see right now in the spiritual realm all around us, there are demons and there are angelic messengers of God, angels, and they are battling, they're, they're circling around and they are under attack on your home and your life and your marriage. And some of you have been trying to fix all these things physically and your worldview says that's just hocus pocus. I'm here to tell you today that we are in a war. I want you to grab your Bibles and I want you to turn to the end of the book of Ephesians we're going to look at this battle that's raging. 
And I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad. You'll want to have a Bible today. You'll want to have this and you'll want to mark up your Bible. You'll want to read along with me because this is your weapon. Once you turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, hold your hand up if you need a Bible. And we're going to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. When you find Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 10 to 20, would you stand with me and we'll read it together? Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20. Read it out loud with me. Ready, read. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You may have a seat. We are at war. And sometimes it's, we think we're at peacetime. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are always at war with Satan. Always at war with Satan. He is after you, and his demons are reporting back. Satan had a beginning. The Bible tells us that in 1 Peter 5, 8, that the enemy is, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5, 8. says, so be alert. So if you woke up today, the instruction today and instruction from the word is be alert, be ready, have a posture of offense, have a posture of defense, not waking up and walking cloudly into this world and not acknowledging that you are an, an, a soldier in the middle of a war zone who must be ready for the enemy who's ready to attack. It says he prowls around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. John 10.10 says this about the enemy, about Satan. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. So he has nothing good about him that he wants to do for you. He doesn't offer you freedom. His primary objective is to destroy your life, destroy your marriage, destroy you. And not only to, to, to destroy, but to kill and to steal and to wipe you out and to wipe your marriage out and to wipe your business out and wipe your life and leave you ineffective in this life for Christ. The Bible also gives two references to where Satan's beginning is recorded. These are verses that you should have underlined in your Bible. These are verses that you should be able to have tabbed in your Bible. His beginning. One is in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 13 to 19. Write that down. It talks about his beginning when he was in, the, the, in heaven and he was thrown out because of his pride. 
The other is in Isaiah chapter 14, in verses 12 to 16. I'd like for you to turn there. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 16. These are referred to in the Bible as Satan's five I wills. These are the five things that he said he was going to do. These are the things, literally, that caused him to sin and be thrown out of heaven. And when he was thrown out of heaven, one third of the angels that were with him left heaven and were tossed to earth. And they became evil angels. We know them as demons. Satan had five I wills. Isaiah chapter 14 Verses 12 to 16. Look what it says here. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. And then there's this list of the five I wills of Satan. You, Satan, said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. But then it says this, but you were brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Those who see you stare at you and they ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made heaven or the kingdoms tremble? The man who made a world a desert, who overthrew its cities and would not let his captives go home. All the kings of the nation lie in state, each in his own tomb. But you are cast out of your tomb like a rejected branch. You are covered with the slain, with those pierced by the sword, those who descend to the stones of the pit, like a corpse trampled underfoot. It's a picture of Satan's beginning. It's a picture that he was Lucifer. He was the anointed cherub, the Bible tells us in Ezekiel chapter 28. And because of his pride in his heart, he wanted to be like God. God threw him out of heaven. And with him went one third, hundreds of thousands of demonic angels went with him. And now they form his infantry. They are the ones that march with him and and march into our lives, trying to destroy and kill and destroy us. Second Corinthians chapter two and verse 11 reminds us that Satan has schemes that he's trying to outwit us with. And it's a reminder, Paul says, don't let him outwit you with his schemes. Be alert, be ready. Be prepared. And as we look at the end of this book in Ephesians, Paul gives us how to be prepared, how to be equipped, what to put on, what to wear. Then in Luke chapter 10 and verse 3, Jesus even gives us a reminder. He says, I am going to send you out as lambs amongst wolves. In other words, you got to be prepared. You better have a weapon in your hand because you will be eaten alive. It's dangerous out there. There's this picture of a battle that's raging. There's this picture of an enemy. There's this picture of us being dressed and fully ready to attack and hold our ground. We have a real enemy. And he was cast out of heaven many, many, many years ago. And when he was cast out, thousands of demons went with him. Now, here's the problem. Some of you don't even know that you're in a war. Some of you, well, I know what a physical war is. I fought, some of you have bravely fought on the front lines and given us freedom in our world, and you did it 
courageously and praise God for that. Yet some of you are, don't even recognize that there's a spirit world and that we're in a spiritual war. And you might even be able to fight in another zone, but you haven't not prepared yourself for this physical and spiritual war that we live in today. And so Paul gives us a reminder, be prepared, be alert, get dressed. These demons that work with Satan, they give reports back to him. Satan himself is not omnipresent. Satan himself cannot be in many places at one time. He can only be in one place at one time. So he uses his demons to report back to him. He's the colonel. He's the captain. The infantry are the demons. They report back and say, this is what happened. He gives the marching orders. Is there a place that Satan primarily is? Yes, there is. Is there a place that that he could set up camp with most of his demons? Yes, there is. And wouldn't be any doubt in my mind, it's a place where the, the spirit of God is alive and well, and it's advancing the kingdom. And so anytime there's a revival, anytime there's a church on the move, anytime there's a ministry on the move, I will guarantee you that his demons are camped, ready to destroy it. Now here's the problem though. Some of us are aimlessly walking around dealing with all this junk in our lives that continues to leave us way below our redemptive potential and we're fighting it in a physical way. My marriage is falling apart. Well, I'll fix it physically. My life is falling apart. I'll fix it physically. My business is falling apart. Then I'll do all these things. And you neglect it to realize that there's an enemy and you must fight back in the spiritual. Some of you might even be saying right now, Pastor Tim, this is a bunch of hocus pocus. Let me go home and shoot off some fireworks. It's not hocus pocus. If that's the approach that you want to take, you will get whipped. You will get slaughtered. You will get destroyed. I have seen people who take that view, who march through this life, and all they think is life is physical, and yet they neglect to realize that that physical thing is a manifestation of a spirit demon that's attacking them. So Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says, finally. It's like he gets to the end of this letter, and they're excited about Paul, and he says, by the way, finally. Look what he says. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty what? What's the word? Power. Then he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your what? What's the word? Stand against the devil's schemes. Okay, he says, take your stand. Then in verse 12, he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Church, that's not physical. That's spiritual. Then he says this, therefore, put on the full armor. He repeats it. Told us in verse 11, put on the full armor, as if we need to hear it again, because some of you might not get it. Put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, it will come. You may be able to what? What's the word? Stand your ground. Then he says this, and after you have done everything to what? Stand. Stand firm then. It's this picture of getting hit, getting back up. Winning a war, winning a battle, standing back up, falling down, standing back up, holding your ground. It's a constant cycle of attack. It's not, well, Satan and his demons come, they attack, and then I won. No, it's a picture of 
daily. It's, it's like my marriage might be great right now, but I can guarantee in three months or three weeks, it's going to get taxed. Stand back up and fight for it again. It's not fighting one time. It's a continual battle like a soldier would get marching orders from, from his God and say, I will stand and fight until the end. That's the picture. That's why Paul repeats, stand. And then again, I say stand. Then he says, stand firm. It's this battle of this soldier getting hit and banged and, and standing in, in the bunker and getting shot at and standing back up and shooting. It's a picture of a daily battle. So when you woke up this morning and you had your oatmeal, is that what you were thinking about? I'm in a battle. When you got dressed this morning and you physically got dressed, did you spiritually get dressed? So did you walk out into the battle zone without your weapon, without your gear, without anything ready to attack? It's like a soldier walking out in the middle of a battle zone in Afghanistan or or Iraq right now without his weapon, marching out in his pajamas and saying, here I am. Some of you have done that, did that this morning. You didn't even get dressed spiritually. It takes great effort. And Paul reminds us that we can stand because of Jesus' power, but our power comes from Jesus. The Bible also gives us tons of passages regarding Satan's schemes. He has a plan to destroy you. He's familiar with your patterns. His demons report back, hey, this is where he's weak. Hey, this is where she's weak. Hey, when they get together and they talk about this, they don't like each other very much. And so that's when they attack. He's not dumb. He's an experienced soldier. He's an experienced captain. He's an experienced colonel. He's been doing it for thousands of years. No one will ever replace him. He's the best at what he does. He does it with guerrilla warfare. He'll attack you when you least expect it, out of a bush, out of a tree. He'll come after you when you're weak with his demons, when you're tired and weary and you're physically weak, or you're sick, and you're down and depressed, or, or when, you're, 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 when you're, your personal relationship with him isn't good, that's when he attacks. He'll come when you're weak. He'll come after you when you've had a bad day at work, and, or when you have a rift between you and your wife, or you and your husband, or you and your children, or you and your boss, or you and your sister, or you and your mom and dad. He'll come and he'll attack He'll come when you least expect it. He'll come after a great victory. After you're celebrating, you have the, the, the celestial party and you're celebrating what God has done. And in that moment, Satan says, I'll get them at their best when they least expect it. He'll come in and attack after great victory. I've seen it happen in my own life after great victory in my family or my marriage or in the Grace Community Church. It's so common that now I stand and I'm ready, I'm alert. We had a great victory. Someone just gave their life to Jesus Christ. A marriage was just restored. The church is advancing the kingdom. They're making a difference in this community and I am prepared, I'm alert. I am armed and ready to stand and stand firm and then stand again. He is powerful. The Bible says he can kill, he can steal, and he can destroy. But listen to me. His power is limited only by as much power as God allows him to do. Even in the life of Job, Job said, he looked at his life, powerful man, wealthy man. Satan went to God. He says, how much can I do, take away from, from Job? He said, you can take everything but his life. 
He controls the limit and he limits what Satan can do, but he, God gave him tons of permission in Job's life. He has lots of help. His demons love what they're doing. That's what they wake up every day and report back and say, I mean, they never sleep. Satan never sleeps. It's just this constant battle while we're sleeping and reporting back. So why do demons and Satan attack you and I? Because they know we love Jesus. And he hates to think what we could be like at our very best, at the full redemptive potential that Christ has created us to be. He's afraid of you. And yet some of you look at this video that I showed and you hear these stories. It's like, I don't want to talk about that either. Listen to me. You are a lean, mean, fighting machine with Jesus Christ. That's the picture that's here. No weapon can prosper against you, the word of God says. If you're walking in the spirit, if you're armed and ready for battle, you will win in the power and the name of Jesus. You see, he fears what you might be and how you could live. So he wants to destroy that. Here's another way Satan loves to attack. If he can't get you, mom and dad, he'll come after your children. He just does. He loves it. I mean, you might be strong and you might be standing. And mom, you might be standing. You know what he does? If he can't get you, he'll come and get your children. Because when your children are being attacked, it affects the family. And it's a weak moment. No parent in here that loves Jesus Christ doesn't feel the weight when their child is under attack or when their child is, is falling away. It's when he'll come after and he'll come underground and go after the kids. And so we need to stand and defend and fight. Satan's native language, the Bible says, is he's a liar. He's the father of lies. So when he speaks, he lies. So we should never consult him on anything because he'll lie to you. Plus, I think it's possible for him to deceive himself. I think it's possible that he has, he has grown so powerful and he has so much pride, even though he's read the ending, I think that he is so evil that it, it, the, the, the possibility exists for Satan to deceive himself, to believe that he's going to win, that somehow he can change the pages of Scripture. We know he can't, but I believe he is so prideful that he possibly can deceive himself to think, I'm going to win. He's the father of lives. And so Ephesians 6.13 says this. When the day of evil comes, be ready. Listen, it's coming. If you're not in the midst of it right now, it's coming. If you're not in the midst of it tomorrow, it's coming. Be prepared. And so Paul says, put on the full armor of God. Don't get partially dressed. I mean, think about it. If you got partially dressed and you walked out into our world physically and you didn't put on your pants, would you be noticed? Absolutely. Picture's the same here, spiritually. If you're walking out into the battle zone and the demons say, hey, they're pantless, let's get them. That's, it is so obvious for them to see when you, the demons, to see when you're not spiritually dressed. Let me ask you, did you get dressed this morning? One of my primary things every single morning in my life is to wake up, get dressed physically, and you're glad I did today, and to get dressed spiritually. 
And so when I'm getting up and ready, I put on the spiritual armor. I walked right through it. I put on the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. I put on the sword of the spirit, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the feet shod with the preparation of God's peace. And I pray, God, lead me not into temptation and deliver me from evil. I want to be ready to defend my family and defend Grace Community Church and to defend me and to defend the world. So I wake up and I get dressed. I will not walk out. And when I don't get dressed, I can tell you. And I'll stop in the middle of the day and say, whoo, I forgot to get dressed. And I go back and I say, God, help me to be bold and powerful like you encourage Paul to be. And so he walks through this, this, this wardrobe. Look at this wardrobe that he gives us. This wardrobe is both defensively good to us and offensively it helps us. Look what he says first. Paul says this. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth is a lifestyle of honesty and integrity. So every day I get up and I often pray, God, I put on the belt of truth. God, help me to see truth. God, help me to make decisions based upon your word. Let me be a man of integrity. Let me be an honest man. This is primarily the biggest way that Satan will defeat Christians. He's the father of lies. So we must go to the source and believe the truth and not the lies. One of the basic truths of the word of God that many, 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 many Christians believe a lie about is from 1 John 1, 9. When I read 1 John 1, 9, it says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I choose to believe that because it's the word of God. Yet Satan takes that. He takes that passage and he twists it. And what happens is the word of God says if it's a true repentant person and they ask for forgiveness, the word of God also says that God chooses not to remember our sins anymore. But what happens is Satan comes at us and he says, hey, remember the time? Remember the time that you did this six years ago? You should have never done that. And so he fires these things at us. He fires all these reminders of the past, the things that we've done wrong. And what begins to happen, all these things surface. Husbands and wives will bring up stuff from the past. He reminds them, hey, bring this up. Hey, bring that up. Hey, bring this up. Hey, bring that up. And we got to realize if we went to God with a repentant heart, he's dealt with it. He's cleansed us. Move on. Yet Satan comes in. And he says, hey, that's not true for you. (laughs) You think God would forgive you of that? That's horrible. That's the picture. One of the primary things, and yet tons of followers will get destroyed in this area. Then he says this, not only put on the, 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 the belt of truth, but put on the breastplate of righteousness. Fit me with holiness and purity. Help me to stand against corruption. It's a regular prayer for me, God. I want to be a person who stands against corruption. God, let me know truth. God, let me make the difference in the world that you want me to make. 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17 says that there are ways that, that we are attacked. There's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. He gets us with stuff that looks good, feels good, makes us feel good about ourselves. He will attack us with things that we have a bent towards. In other words, if you have a propensity to fall in an area... Satan will come and he'll try to corrupt you more in that area. 
You have this propensity, this sin, this habit. It's like, you know you're weak. And so what he does, that's where he fires his arrows. That's where he tries to get you. That's where he strategically comes after you. That's where he tries to attack you. That's where it happens. It's this picture of the strategic attack by the enemy. You know what your weaknesses are. And Satan will come after you. And so if you have a propensity in the area, he will come after you. And so we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. God, help me stand against corruption. God, let me be pure. Let me be a follower of you that has a clean heart. Then it says, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And so I often say, God, show me the larger story that's unfolding. Let me see your goodness today. Keep me from being lax and help me to see what's important. Feet shot it with the preparation, the, the, the readiness of peace. It's a sense of understanding that there are lost people in our world. Take your eyes off yourself, Jim. See the world. Let them know that you have the gospel of peace that you can give them. And when I take my eyes off myself and you take your eyes off yourself, and when you put on those shoes, you march through the world and you meet the needs of others and you see a lost world and you recognize they need Jesus. It puts my eyes on Jesus and puts my eyes on lost people who need Jesus. Then he says, take up the shield of faith. Stop the flaming arrows that come your way. It's defensive posture. All these are defensive postures. And so it's the idea, Jesus, I stand against every lie that Satan wants to bring against me today. You have to remind yourself of the faith passages of his word. With God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible with our God. And so when Satan comes in and says, well, God can never do that for you. Why would he do that for you? It's impossible for him to accomplish that through you. You stand and you, you, you repeat back scripture and you hold the shield of faith and you say, by faith with God's power, it's possible. It's a sense of a person every day standing up, said, by faith, I believe that this can happen. By faith, I'll march through the land. By faith, I'll get back up. By faith, we will win, Jesus. It's a constant reminding yourself instead of listening to yourself, you talk to yourself with the truths of God's word. Then he says this, put on the helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation is, I mean, this, this is so important for us. We must remind ourselves regularly and thank God. Lord, thank you for saving my soul. You see, when I do that and you do that, there's this sense of appreciation for a God who, well, while none of us deserve this salvation, but by his grace, he saved us. There's this appreciation of, man, thank you, God. And there's awareness that I want to serve you, God. Besides, what kind of soldier would go out into the war zone, stand up in a bunker without his helmet on and stand up and say, hey, here I am. Boop, boop. I mean, you need to put on your helmet. It's a sense of hunkering over and being prepared and alert. And you have coverage on your head to deflect if possible. He says, put on the helmet of salvation. Be aware so many people are defeated in our world today as Christians because you're a pessimist, because you don't put on the shield of faith. God could never do that from where you never did that before because you're a worrier and faith and worry do not coexist together. Helmet is a symbol of victory. It says we can win, we've won. And so when you get dressed every morning, not only you're physically dressed, you're standing, you're ready to defend. It's a posture of defense. So then Paul says, that's the defensive mechanism that you have. Now he goes on and says, let's put the offensive weapons together. And so look what he says. He says, take the helmet of salvation, in verse 17, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of what? What's it say? Okay, the word of God. 
Even Satan himself tried to use the word of God because he knew it was a weapon. He says it's a sword of the spirit. So literally, picture if you can, the Bible as a sword. We have a couple swords in our house. This one's Josh's. But picture this if you can. The Bible that you carry, it's offense. This is a sword that you carry. Literally, you have a weapon in your hand. You're dressed for defense. Now, defense is fun. And you don't lose if you have a good defense. But sooner or later, you got to score. And you got to take back ground. Defense is a picture of holding ground. It's not letting someone advance on you. But the word of God shows, go on the offense, take back the ground. Take whatever's come after you and go and advance. You need the sword to fight back. Besides, if you're in a basketball game, isn't there a point after a while it's like, man, I want the ball, let me score. Or if you're in a football game, give me the ball, let me score. There's a sense that you don't just hold the ball and not try to march it across the goal line. And the word of God is a sword. It says it's your weapon. You can not only defend with the armor, but you can take background. And some of you have lost some ground in your marriage. You've lost some ground in your work. You lost some ground in your family. You lost some ground with your children. You lost some ground in your marriage. You lost some ground with friends. You lost some ground in ministries. It's time to take it back with the sword of the spirit, Paul says. That's the picture. And someone's, oh, Jim, that's just really cool. Cool, you got a sword. Listen to me. This word of God is powerful. Why do you think every Sunday, one of the primary reasons I want to have this Bible in your hands and I ask you to stand because I know when I look out and I see everyone with the Bible in their hand, they are armed and baby, there's some weapons in this auditorium and we can fight back. Yet, let me ask you a personal question. You don't need to raise your hand. How many of you even know where your weapon's at until Sunday morning? Oh, where did I leave it at last week? Uh, it was... See, I think it's in the back. Oh, I left it at church. Or, or it's in the car. Hey, check and see if it's in the car, honey, would you? And so you walked all week long, and you've left your Bible. You haven't even opened it. You haven't read it. You haven't used it. And you wonder why you're getting the snot beat out of you. It's because you're not fighting back. See, and Satan knows that. See, not only does he know how, how, how valuable and how how incredibly damaging this can be, but he uses it. I mean, when he went to the garden, he even twisted scripture when he went to Eve and said, did God really say that? Do you really believe that? And when he tempted Jesus in Matthew 4 in the desert, what did he do? He took scripture and he twisted it. He even picked up the sword and he's the father of lies. And so so he, he twisted around. And how did Jesus win? He picked up the sword of Deuteronomy and he said, Poof. He gave it right back to him. Yet how many of us could do that? And how many of us have even spent time in, in the Word? You know, the Word of God is supposed to, it tells us it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Well, that sounds pretty cool, Jim. Well, how is that? It's that we live it, we read it, we study it, we memorize it, and we give it back when those thoughts come and say, we can't do this. And we say, well, it does, set it right here, says here, says here, says here, says here. It's we fight back. But what has happened, here's what's happened to the Christian church. Way too many Christians are using the sword on each other. 
Here's what happens, you know. Hey, my name is Jim. What do you believe about secondary issues that don't have any importance at all? Hey, how are you doing? Seriously, take a look at the church across America. We have people and they're standing in their bunkers. They're on the same team. Hey, I don't believe that. Do you believe that? And they take the word and they're killing each other. And Satan stands back and says, yeah. More damage is done on secondary issues that we believe are primary issues and and issues that foundation to the Christian faith. And you know what we do? Well, I don't believe that. And then we know we do it. We start blogging about it. Hey, I can't believe that church over there, that pastor over there, that person over there, that, they, they said that. You know what we do? Hey, you know what? I'm a Christian too. And Satan sits back and God's heart is broken. And he's dividing the church by watching Christians stab each other. And the bride of Christ should be marching together. Listen to me today. Don't be that person who stabs another believer in Christ because of some secondary issue that has no relevance on whether or not you're born again or has no relevance or not whether that, that, that this is the word of God. Now listen, foundation, this is God's word. I believe every jot and tittle of it and I will take a bullet in the head for that. But I will never take a bullet in the head away of style and form of worship in a church where people just stab and kill each other. So what happens? Here's what happens. All these little groups, they just, they, they form together. Hey, this is what we believe. Let's get together and let's throw these darts and let's cut up some people in that church. And all across Christian army fields are Christians killing Christians and stabbing each other with the sword. We're supposed to use a sword to sharpen each other, not kill each other. So Satan stands back and speaks some lies about someone, and then he watches people, Christians, believe it. Well, if they do that, then they probably believe this. And we spend more time arguing with each other and stabbing each other instead of telling someone about Jesus Christ, and we let people go to hell because we don't tell them the truth. It breaks my heart, too. I've seen families separated I've seen people separated over stupid stuff. I have had friends leave me because of secondary issues. It breaks my heart. And here's why. If you're a Christ follower and you're genuinely born again, you're going to spend eternity together in heaven. Get used to it. Oh, it just blows my mind. Well, I can't worship with them. You're going to for the next zillion years. Get used to it. Enough said. Satan's also good at telling you that it's not a sword. Say, you know what? That's not a sword. You don't need that. It's a roast beef sandwich. And you say, really? Yeah. And you don't even know because you haven't read to find out whether it is or not. And you say, oh. And he just says, oh, I was just lying. Just kidding. Oh, Oh, the father lies. He would lie. So he picks it up and stabs us with it. So here's the problem though. Many Christians haven't picked up their swords all week long and you wonder why your, your family's falling apart and you wonder why your marriage is falling apart and you wonder why you're not a good soldier because you don't even know your own weapon. It's like the guy going out in the infantry and he doesn't have his rifle. And so the, the, whoever's in charge, the captain, the colonel, whoever it is, the sergeant, he says, all right, 
on count of three, we're on a charge. And you have one guy, 10 guys, hey, anybody see my weapon? Oh, I left it in the Jeep. Let me run back and get it. That's what it looks like. That's why you want a Bible in your hands. That's why you want to be a student of this word. That's why in the bulletin we have an invisible community that you can read through the word. That's why you need to take it in because it's your weapon to defeat the enemy. And listen to me, fathers. Fathers, you're supposed to be the gatekeepers of the family. If you're not into God's word, you're letting your family down. You're not a good soldier. You're worthless to your family if you don't have a weapon in your hand. And if on Sunday morning you're coming and you don't have your Bible in your hand and you're the spiritual leader of your family and your kid looks at you and says, Dad, where's your weapon? Maybe it's time to put it in your hand. Satan's not afraid of any infantry that doesn't have their arms. Then Paul says this. Paul says this. He says, not only do that, he says, take the helmet of salvage and the sword of spirit and pray in the spirit. Second weapon, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I mean, then he says, okay, pray also for me. That whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change. And he says, pray that I may declare it fiercely as I should. Pray on all occasions. Pray whenever you can. Pray all the time. Pray without ceasing. That's a weapon for you. Call on the ground attack. Stand at your gate of your home and say, give in your address. I mean, it's 200776 County Road 146. Send in your angels, God. Boom. Clear the ground. Make it, make it a place where we can stand. Bring in the, the big guns. And so I pray regularly over my home and my marriage and the ministry of grace and my life. God, send them in and I wait for them to bring in the bombs and I pray and I, I, I use that as a great weapon. It's a weapon that we need to use to win the battle. And Satan hates Christians that pray. He hates fathers that pray. He hates mothers that pray. He hates children that pray because it defeats him. Prayer is hard work. There are people at Grace that I know that are intercessors and I love them and value them. And every time an intercessor passes on, I can feel it. I feel it as if I've, I've lost something, a protection. I've had some many dear intercessors for me over the years. You know what? Satan has a lot of ground that's staked out. And we need to pray. I mean, just think about prayer. When's the last time you came to a corporate prayer encounter at Grace Community Church? When's the last time you came and prayed and we had special seasons of prayer? It's your weapon. Some of you, you'll you'll read God's word and you'll carry the right hand, you'll carry the sword, but you dare not come and pray. Well, I don't like the way you do prayer encounter. (laughs) So I don't pray. Listen to me, it's your weapon. If we're gonna advance the kingdom, let's pray together. Fervent prayer makes a difference. Every revival is preceded by prayer. Prayer is hard work. Our war is not against flesh and blood, but against evil forces and authorities and powers. Paul says, pray for me so that I can fearlessly make known the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can be powerful, church, like Paul said. We can hold our ground and we can take back ground. 
And we can advance the kingdom in a forceful way, but it happens with people, Christ followers, who are dressed ready for the war. We need some soldiers to stand and fight and win. And you're right here. This isn't rocket science. This is people who say, you know what? I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for my wife. I'm going to fight for my kids. I'm going to fight for my husband. I'm going to fight for this community. I'm going to fight for Jesus Christ. I'm going to fight, 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 fight until God calls me home. And you can, in the name of Jesus, tell demons to flee. And you can put guards and angels around your home and your house and your marriage and your business. Church, we have weapons that are dangerous and Satan is afraid of us. Use them. God, help us today. Please, God, let us believe that. God, I pray that we wouldn't aimlessly leave this building and not be properly dressed. God, if we're not dressed, help us to get dressed right now. Let us be students of your word. Let us be prayer warriors. Let us be people of integrity and truth and honesty. Let us be people of faith. Let us be people who share the gospel. Let us have an understanding of our salvation. Help us to be victorious, God. God, we are dangerous with you. And Satan knows us. God, it's time we stand and stand again and stand firm and win. Help us to be those kind of soldiers. In Jesus' name, amen.